Welcome to Hallowed, Exploring the Lives of the Saints, Episode 27, Christian Vikings. I'm your host, Tom Thorne, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the lives, adventures, trials, and triumphs of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Today, we'll be talking about a pair of brave men whose lives come straight out of the old Norse sagas of the Viking Age. The holy martyrs and Christian Vikings, Saints Magnus and Ronald of Orkney. The life of Saint Magnus, as I mentioned a moment ago, comes to us mainly from one source, the Orkneyinga saga a collection of legends based on oral tradition written down in Icelandic around the year 1200 AD. But Magnus was not himself an Icelander. He was a Norseman of the Orkney Isles off the north coast of Scotland, which in those days was not part of the Kingdom of Scotland, but rather a Norse colony, subject to the King of Norway. The colony of Orkney had been founded at the end of the 8th century by Viking settlers at the very start of the Viking Age, just as Norwegians and Danes began to raid the coasts of Britain and the rest of Europe. Speaking the Old Norse language and inheriting the culture of the Vikings, the people of Orkney had converted to Christianity in the 10th and 11th centuries along with most of the Viking worlds. But the old ways lived on, and the culture of raiding, pillaging, blood feuds, and the like had remained strong in the Orkney Isles, as in much of the Scandinavian worlds. Into this wild frontier world was born Magnus, around the year 1080. Magnus' father was the Jarl of Orkney, the ruler of the Isles, but his position was far from secure. Case in points, when Magnus was eighteen, his cousin Hakon asked the king of Norway to help him usurp the Jarldom of Orkney from Magnus' father. The king assented, setting sail for Orkney and taking the islands by storm. But instead of handing over control, the king double-crossed the treacherous Hakon and simply took Orkney under his own direct rule, installing his young son Sigurd as Jarl. This same Sigurd, for fans of Norwegian history, would grow up to be the legendary Crusader King Sigurd of Norway. With his father overthrown, Magnus himself was taken hostage by the king's men, and dragged along with them as they continued their campaign across the British Isles. For the king of Norway had bigger plans than capturing a few barren islands in the North Sea. He dreamed of rebuilding the great Viking Empire of ages past. The Norsemen had had a rough time in the decades leading up to 1100. They had reached the height of their power in the early 11th century, when the famous King Canute the Great had ruled over Denmark, Norway, 
and, of course, England. But since Canute's death in 1035, the Viking world had fallen apart. England had briefly regained her independence before being conquered by the Normans in 1066, while Norway and Denmark had once again split into rival kingdoms. Meanwhile, further afield, the more distant Norse colonies like Orkney, Shetland, and the Hebrides, to say nothing of Iceland and Greenland on the very edges of the known world, had grown used to ruling themselves. The new king of Norway, whom I've just been calling and will continue to call the King of Norway because he was also unhelpfully named Magnus, hoped to reverse these fortunes and reunite the lost lands of his Viking fathers. And so, in the summer of 1098, right after staking his claim on Orkney and leaving his son as Jarl, the King of Norway embarked on a raiding voyage down the west coast of Britain to put the king back in Viking and remind his wayward subjects who was in charge by the blade of the axe and the fire of the torch. Young Saint Magnus, not to be confused with the king who'd kidnapped him, was taken along as prisoner. In June or July of 1098, the king's fleet reached Anglesey. That's the large island off the northwest coast of Wales, and made ready to seize the island from its Anglo-Norman overlords. The same Normans, by the way, who had recently conquered England. In the ensuing clash on the shores of Anglesey, the King of Norway personally shot one of the Norman barons through the eye slits in his helmet, a remarkable shot if ever there was one, killing him in an instant and breaking the French morale. With the battle joined, the king's men invited young St. Magnus to take part in the slaughter, and no doubt earned the king's respect and perhaps his own freedom in doing so. But the boy could not be persuaded to take up arms against his fellow Christians, simply to further the king's selfish aims. The Vikings mocked him as a coward, seeing no distinction between Magnus' conscientious objection to an unjust war and a fear of battle. But Magnus ignored their taunts, instead singing psalms from the deck of a longship, no doubt exposing himself to arrow fire in the process while the battle raged on the beach nearby. Following the battle, Magnus was exiled to Scotland, perhaps by an angry king. But a few years later, following the death of the King of Norway, he was finally able to return home to his native Orkney, after seven years away, and reclaim his inheritance with the backing of the new Norwegian king, Aestane who installed him as the co-ruler of Orkney, together with that treacherous cousin Håkon, whom you may remember had started all this trouble in the first place. As you might imagine, Håkon was not at all content to share the Jarldom with Magnus forever. After several years of plotting, 
he assembled an army to claim all of Orkney for himself. Attempting to make peace, Magnus offered to meet Hawkon at Easter on the Orcadian island of Egglesey, no relation to Anglesey in Wales, to work out their differences. On the provision that each Jarl should only travel there with two ships of men, to avoid risking an open battle. Hawkon agreed. But when Easter came, he showed his true colors once more. Sailing to Egglesey with eight ships of armed men, four times what he had promised, to ambush the Honorable Magnus, who of course had kept the deal and only brought two. Needless to say, Magnus was outnumbered and outmatched, and had no choice but to seek sanctuary in a church on the island. But that did not save him. He was dragged out of hiding and sentenced to death by Hawkon. Magnus had been Jarl for over a decade now, and while we don't know many of the details of his rule, it's clear that the people had grown loyal to him because his treacherous cousin Hawkon could not find a willing executioner. Incensed, Hawkon was reduced to forcing his own cook to do the deed for him. As he awaited his execution, Magnus prayed for his killers. Then Hawkon's cook split his skull with an axe, and the traitor took Orkney for himself. Magnus was buried near the site of his execution, or murder, depending on how you see it, in a rocky field on the Isle of Egglesey. Shortly thereafter, so the stories say, the barren soil became lush with soft green grass. He was later reburied in a church on the island of Bursey, today St. Magnus' church, after his own mother beseeched the Jarl Hawkon to let her son receive a Christian burial, and Hawkon, a traitor, but perhaps not a heartless one, relented. In the decades following his death, numerous miracles were attributed to Magnus. These tales drew the attention of the Bishop of Orkney, William the Old, you do have to love the names from the Old Norse sagas. Bishop William initially doubted these rumors and condemned those who believed in them as heretics, only to be struck blind for his error, eventually regaining his sights after praying at Magnus' tomb. Realizing the truth, and no doubt grateful for being given back his eyes, Bishop William canonized the late Jarl, in 1136, naming him, at last, Saint Magnus. Although he is a relatively obscure saint outside of Orkney, Magnus has left a surprisingly deep legacy on Scottish culture, and indeed on the culture of Europe more broadly. In the 20th century, George Mackey Brown, one of Scotland's greatest modern poets, and, incidentally, a convert to Catholicism, would write a novel about his life, entitled simply Magnus. 
This novel would become the basis for an opera, The Martyrdom of St. Magnus, by Peter Maxwell Davies. And funnily enough, there was even a song which made it to the finals of the Eurovision contest in 2018 by the modern Danish musician Rasmussen, based on the life of St. Magnus and his role as a peacemaker. Closer to his own time, Magnus would be honored by his own nephew, Ragnvalder, or in English, Ronald, who took over the Jarldom of Orkney after the death of the treacherous Jarl Hakon. He did so with the help of the aforementioned King Sigurd the Crusader, now a grown man and the ruler of Norway to boot. Jarl Ronald, the nephew of Magnus, built St. Magnus Cathedral in Kirkwall, the capital of the Orkney Isles, which still stands to this day, in honor of his holy uncle. Ronald had a fascinating life of his own, embarking on many quests across the British Isles and the wider worlds. He even went on crusade to the Holy Land. He, too, was eventually recognized as a saint after his death, so I think it's worth mentioning a little bit more about him, as a continuation of Magnus' own story. Following the tradition of Viking warrior skulls, Ronald of Orkney, the nephew of Magnus, was actually an accomplished poet, as well as a warrior. Some of his poetry survives, so I'll read you an excerpt, first in Old Norse for the flavor, and then in translation in English. Here you go, from Ronald. Fer hofum vadnar lerur, vikur fim meen grimmar, saurs vassavantes varum, vither i grimsbe medium. Nus that's mass of murar, meen catligalatum, branda elga biliur, biornyenyar tildinya. I hope I got some of that right. In translation, that's... Muck, slime, mud. We waited for five mired weeks, reeking. Silts fouled bilge bars souring in the Grimsby Bay. Nimbly now, our proud, proud, bergen-bound sea elk pounds over wave-paved orkmoors, locks horns with foam crests. Bows booming. Apparently, that poem describes the first trading voyage of the young Jarl-to-be, Ronald, nephew of Magnus. If you enjoy manly Viking poetry, you'll find a link in the show notes where you can read more of Ronald's own work. You can also learn more about both Ronald and Magnus and their wider Viking worlds from the Orkneyinga saga, which I've also linked below. Like his uncle Magnus, the Jarl Ronalds eventually met a grisly end for his attempts to bring peace, law, and justice to a fundamentally anarchic society. In the summer of 1158, Ronald was ambushed and assassinated by a criminal whom he had previously outlawed for committing murder. Like his uncle before him, Ronald soon gained a reputation as a martyr for justice, and was venerated throughout Orkney as a saint. 
Taken together, I think these two saints, Magnus and Ronald, are significant to us today not because of their role in history. They didn't play a big role in history like, say, St. Helena, or even because they represented some remarkable ideal of holiness, like St. Damien of Molokai. I think Magnus and Ronald are important to us because of what they represented at the time and place when they lived. That is, good men living in a bad age. Today, many of us live in societies where law and order is breaking down, where violent crime is rapidly on the rise. And there can often be a temptation for people living in times like these to throw up their hands and become their enemies, to become violence, brutal, savage. But that is not what Magnus did. That is not what Ronald did. What they did was to show that you can be a good man, a just man, a man of peace and self-control, a man who doesn't embrace the savagery of the world around him, who doesn't take part in the killing and the looting just because everyone else does. Strong men are needed in dark times. And there is no strength like the self-mastery shown by Magnus and Ronald. Magnus could have chosen to live the Viking life of his ancestors. When he was kidnapped by the King of Norway, he was given a chance. An opportunity to gain his freedom, and perhaps to gain a place at the king's right hand. But to do so he would have had to kill his fellow Christians over nothing. And that's not something that a good man can do. So he refused. He refused and he was mocked, because the people of his time and place didn't understand what self-restraint was. They didn't understand what Christian virtue was. Later on, as Jarl, he was faced with another choice to take part in the backstabbing and intrigue that was such a part of the blood feuds of Viking life. He could simply have had his cousin Hawkon murdered and taken Orkney for himself. That would have freed him from a world of earthly trouble and perhaps saved his own life. He could have gone back on the deal he'd made with his cousin to meet peacefully and sort out their differences man to man but he didn't. He kept his word. He was betrayed for it. And he died for it. Some people in his time, like some people today, would mock that attitude. Call it foolish, naive. And sure, maybe he should have seen the betrayal coming. Maybe he should have taken more precautions. Easy to say that in hindsight. But what mattered to Magnus was not winning a blood feud. What mattered to Magnus was living an honorable life. That's something that we can learn from him in these times of ours. Ronald, too, lived an honorable life.
a Christian life. He fought not for his own power, but for the glory of Christ and the liberation of his church on crusade in the Holy Lands. And coming home to find those same treacherous intrigues that his uncle had once faced, embroiling Orkney and blood feuds once again, he strove to rule as a just Jarl, to ensure that peace and good order, that law and decency prevailed, at a time and place when most men would never think twice about braining their enemies over an insult. He punished criminals, as a good ruler has to do, even though it made him enemies, and ultimately cost him his life. That's the lesson to be learned from Magnus and from Ronald, these two great saints of Orkney, these two Christian Vikings. You can be both a strong man and a good man. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your wealth and your status. It may even cost you your life. But it is possible and it is virtuous to strive to live a good life in bad times. As Christ reminds us, what does it profit a man to gain the world, but lose his soul. Sometimes doing the right thing means losing this world, losing this life. But we must be confident that we, like Magnus and Ronald, will receive our reward in the next. St. Magnus is commemorated on the 16th of April in the Catholic Church, and his nephew, St. Ronald, is commemorated on the 20th of August, both saints on the days of their deaths. They are, of course, the patrons of Orkney, but I think those of us living outside the Isles might also consider them patrons of peacemakers, conscientious objectors, and honorable leaders, as well as all those living through violent times. As always, if you'd like to deepen your own devotion to these two brave men, I've included links in the show notes to prayers and other resources, including the Orkneyinga saga and the poetry of St. Ronald, as I mentioned earlier. There you'll also find links to our Patreon, where you can support the show, as well as to my email, where you can send suggestions for future shows and any questions you may have. You can also support the show simply through word of mouth, by telling your friends and family about us, and leaving a good review on iTunes or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. May St. Magnus the Martyr and St. Ronald of Orkney, Christian Vikings, come to our aid now and always for the greater glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, and God bless.